There we go. Yeah, there I am. Hey, this morning's reading is going to be on page 831 of the Seatback Bible in front of you. You can also find that on the back side of your sermon handout. And we haven't said this in a minute, but if you do not have a Bible and would like one, please feel free to take that black chairback Bible. We would love for you to take that copy as yours. Um, as well, today we are finishing up the book of Luke. That's kind of crazy. It, it feels like it's way shorter than Genesis, because it is, it has been. But we're, we're there, and so today is exciting as we uh, read through the close of this book. Pastor Jeremy will be back next week to start us in the book of First Timothy, which is very exciting. Uh, but today we get to kind of tie all the uh, lines together of what we've been studying for the past several weeks. So like I said, page 831 on that, starting uh, Luke 24, verse 13, uh, if you'll read there with me. The word of the Lord says this, That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the, these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for breathing it and giving it to us so that we might be taught Holy Spirit, would you move among us this morning? Would you teach us? Would you help us to understand? And God, as Jonathan comes and, and preaches from your word to us this morning, would you help us to see the threads of Luke that you have been tying together, uh, come together? Would he preach with boldness? Would our hearts be receptive? And God, ultimately, we pray that you would get glory from us this morning. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first went to college, like many young people do, I went through a bit of a crisis of faith. At the time, I was going to a state school, and I was in a world religion class, and I was learning about all these other religions, and I was beginning to wonder, was I only a Christian because I grew up in middle-class America? Now, for most of my life, I had been a Christian. I put faith in Jesus when I was nine, but... Here I was 
sitting in a class learning about Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam, and I was beginning to have some doubts and wondering, am I actually walking down the correct road of faith? Now, to be fair, I was a very immature Christian at the time. Now, even though I became a Christian when I was really young, my family stopped going to church before I was a teenager. And on top of that, I had a very limited understanding of the gospel. I knew that I was a sinner and that Jesus died for me and I needed to follow him in faith, but not a whole lot more. On top of that, my Bible knowledge was very shaky. I could have told you that David fought a giant named Goliath or that Moses told Pharaoh to let my people go, but not a whole lot more. Now, I'm happy to say that I haven't abandoned my faith. But the reason I didn't abandon my faith is not because I stopped asking questions. The reason I committed myself to Christ even further is because I continued asking questions. I continued to dive in deeper, to push into those areas of doubt that I had in my life and allow the image that I had of Jesus to be exposed. As I started diving in, I I realized that this picture I had of God and of Jesus was not actually the picture that we see in the Bible. I was finding that picture that I had created being exposed and the beliefs that I had were coming apart. But ultimately, that didn't lead me to more doubt and more confusion and more frustration. It led me to confidence Confidence that Jesus actually was who he said he was. And the picture that we see in Scripture is the real Jesus. Certainty or confidence, if you remember, is the reason that Luke wrote his gospel in the first place. It says in chapter 1, verse 4, I write these things so that you will be certain of the things that you have been taught. Now, I don't know where you are on your walk of faith this morning, whether you are in a place of doubt and frustration and confusion, or if you are confident and stern in your understanding of Christ this morning. No matter where you are, I am confident that each and every one of us need to dive in deeper. We all need to be confronted with a picture of Jesus that we see in Scripture. And that's what we're doing here this morning. In our text, we'll be on a journey with two of Jesus' disciples, two men who were also facing a bout of doubt. These men believed some good things about Jesus. They believed he was a prophet. They believed that he had come to save them. They believed that he was a good teacher. But when Jesus died, their beliefs were shaken. As we'll see this morning, as they walk on this journey of doubt, those doubts will be confronted And ultimately, for them, it will lead to more confidence. As we walk with them this morning, we will see three ways that we can engage with the real picture of Jesus Christ, the picture laid out in Scripture. To do that this morning, we'll be taking a look at Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 53. Please open up your Bibles with me. The first way we can engage with the real Christ this morning is number one, to open the Bible. Now, in, in verse 13, we see two of Jesus' disciples on a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Now, these men are making their way home after the Passover feast, and as they are doing so, they are talking. 
They're talking about the events that happened the week of the Passover feast, how Jesus was arrested and taken to trial and ultimately executed. And as they're walking, things get a little bit strange. Look at what it says in verse 15 and 16. It says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So here in the text, we've got two men who have dedicated their life to Jesus. They've been following him probably for years, and now they don't recognize him? It's a little odd. Now, there's no indication from the text that Jesus changed his physical appearance, or somehow he was hiding his face. Now, I I don't think there's a physical problem here keeping these people from recognizing him. I think there's a spiritual problem. I, I think they've never actually seen the real picture of what Jesus looks like. And now that Jesus has risen from the dead, come back to life and fulfilled the scriptures, they don't recognize him because they've never actually seen him. But let me show you that from the text. Continue with me in verses 17 and 18. As Jesus drew near, we see this happen. He says, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now, this is a bit embarrassing. Yeah, imagine you're in a coffee shop reading a book and a stranger walks in and asks you about the book and you've been describing it without realizing that you're actually talking to the author. And not only that, you're describing it wrong. That's what's happening here in the text. These men begin to tell Jesus that, well, there's this man named Jesus of Nazareth who we thought was a prophet. He came who was mighty in deeds and, and power and We thought he would be the one to save Israel, to redeem us. But then he died. He was killed by the chief priests and the religious leaders. And then after that, after he died, these women came to us and said they went to the tomb and Jesus was gone. And they had visions of angels. Now, this story for these two disciples is a sad story. One that is full of of doubt and confusion. Not only were they doubting the story of the women who came back from the tomb, they were also doubting whether Jesus was the actual Savior they were looking for. Now, you may want to cut them some slack. I mean, no man has ever risen from the dead before, come back to life conquering over death, so could you blame them? But Jesus seems to think they should know better. You see, for one, over and over again in Jesus' ministry, he's been telling them, I'm going to die and come back to life. Multiple times, in fact, he tells them the story. But more than that, they had the scriptures. They had the Bible that had been laying out God's plan for centuries. And they themselves had been poring over it. And Jesus seems to think that they should have understood what was going to happen. So Jesus says this in 25 and 26. Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, 
church, I read a lot of commentaries, you know, books describing the Bible, and I can't fathom how incredible it would have been to actually been walking with Jesus and having him describe the Bible, the things concerning himself. That's what these men got to experience. Jesus literally opened up the scriptures and he was opening up their minds and helping them understand that all along this was God's plan. And even though I think sometimes how wonderful it would be to have that experience, I'm confident that even though we can't physically walk with Jesus the way these men did, that Jesus is still revealing himself in scripture today. Now I I remember all those years ago when I was struggling how when I actually opened up the Bible and started reading it for my li- myself, how my life was transformed. And the truth is, at the time, I had no idea what I was doing. I couldn't tell you whether the book of John or Luke was in the Old Testament or the New Testament. I just started reading. I, I started with the Gospels and a few other books, and then I eventually asked somebody, where should I go next? Somebody actually told me, it just stick with the New Testament because the Old Testament is hard to understand. But I was a bit of a rebel, so I thought, I'm going to read it anyways. And you know what? They were sort of right. There were a lot of things in the Old Testament I just didn't get. But what I remember most clearly is being astounded how clearly I was seeing the same God from the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament. Now, I had grown up believing that the Old Testament was all about wrath and anger and judgment, and the New Testament was about mercy and grace. When I started reading the Bible for myself, I was seeing this God of steadfast love, of kindness that endures for generations, one who is willing to love his people through sin, so much so that he was willing to send his son to die for sinners. The same God who sent Jesus down to earth in the New Testament is the same God who spoke the world into creation. And even when the world rebelled against him, he was preparing his son to die for us. That's the picture of scripture that I saw when I opened up the Bible. That the same God was present all along throughout all of scripture and that he was revealing Christ. I'm confident that he is still revealing Christ today. No matter where you turn in Scripture, open the text, point to a verse, I assure you, Jesus is there. And that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy to understand. It doesn't mean we're always going to get it. Sometimes we're going to get it wrong. But I want to remind you that reading Scripture isn't simply about knowledge or understanding. It's about knowing the author. Knowing the God who loved you so much that he was willing to send his son to die. It's about Jesus. And even when we fail in our understanding, even when we don't get it, Jesus is gracious enough to walk beside us, to open up the pages with us, and to be patient in our doubt, knowing that he is there. So for you here this morning who want to engage in that real picture, You have to open up your Bible. You have to be willing to take the time to pour over the verses, to wrestle through the places where you don't understand, 
to wrestle through the times of doubt and confusion, knowing that Jesus reveals himself. Knowing that Jesus is in every verse in Scripture. That's why we do what we do here at Mill Creek. That's why we preach through books of the Bible, because we believe that Jesus is everywhere. And I'm confident if you're willing to dive in, you'll find him. But it takes time. It takes patience. It takes commitment. But Jesus is there. That's what these men were learning on the road to Emmaus. As they walked with Jesus and had the world's best commentator with them, they learned that Jesus is in Scripture. But they were also learning here as Jesus moves on in this journey with them that we're not supposed to see Christ in isolation. We're actually supposed to see Christ in community. Which brings us to the second way we can engage with Christ this morning. Number two is to commune with believers. Now, in verse 28, we see the end of the seven-mile journey as these men begin to make their way to the town of Emmaus. And then it says this in verse 28. It says, Jesus acted as if he were going further. Now, I'm confident, reading this text, that Jesus always intended to stop with these men in Emmaus. But Jesus pretended that he was going further. Now, I, I think what is going on here, and I, I'm not certain, but what I'm seeing in the text here is that Jesus wanted these men to invite, them, invite him into their lives. Jesus wasn't going to presume himself on them, and these men had to invite them in. And we see here that they do just that. Even though they've still failed to recognize who Jesus is, they're not going to let a man like this pass them by. So we see this in verse 29. They say, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So Jesus decides to stay. And then Jesus does this in 30 and 31. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Now, once again, we've got a kind of strange occurrence here. And this is completely strange, even before we get to the vanishing. Uh, one, we see Jesus serving these two disciples as if he's the host rather than the guest. And then when Jesus breaks this bread, their eyes are open and he vanishes. Let me explain what's going on here. Now, the language we have here in this text is some language that we've seen so far in the book of Luke. Back in chapter 22 during the Passover feast. Let me read chapter 22, verse 19 for you. It says, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So, in other words, what's happening here in our text is a call to remember. Remember what happened at the Passover feast when Jesus broke this bread, saying, this is my body broken for you. It was a call for them to remember. It was a call to think back to that first communion. And when communion was taken, their eyes were opened. And they remembered. Now, some commentators would point out that these two men weren't actually at the Passover feast. And that's a valid point. 
because only the 12 apostles were at the Passover feast. But I want to point out to you what happens after Jesus is vanished, after Jesus vanishes. Look at what it says in verse 33 and 35. It says, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simeon, to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So we see here after this mysterious vanishing, these two disciples are compelled to take that seven-mile journey all the way back to Jerusalem, where they then tell the other 11 disciples that we saw Jesus in the breaking of the bread. And for these apostles, it would have clicked. Oh, that's the communion. That's what Jesus did at the Passover feast. He told us to remember. He told us to remember all those things he said about the breaking of his bread, how he would die and rise from the dead. Jesus was pointing them to remember. That is why we take communion as a church. We do it in remembrance of the breaking of the body of Jesus Christ and the pouring out of his blood. But I also want to point out that communion is a symbol. That's what we believe here at Mill Creek. It's a symbol of something that we should be continually doing as a church every time we gather, communing in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Not simply in the breaking of bread and and the taking of the wine, but in gathering together in reflection of what Christ did for us. We are supposed to gather living the way that Jesus lived sharing himself, breaking himself, serving others for the sake of building up the church. Jesus, in giving communion, was not just asking them to eat and to drink. He was asking them to live their lives together in community, knowing that Christ had died for them. Christians, we are called to community. You know, I I think a lot of damage has been done by the statement, Christianity is not a religion, it's a personal relationship with Christ. Now, certainly it's required that each and every one of us have a personal relationship with Jesus. But I find that statement reductive. Because Christianity is not merely a personal relationship. It's a corporate relationship. It's where we come together in community, living like Jesus did, serving one another. We are not merely called to personal relationships. We are called to share in Christ together. That is how we are called to live out the Christian life. And I know there's some people here would push back and say, well, you don't need the church to be a Christian. You know, what about those people in other countries who don't have churches? Now, granted, I admit there's times when church isn't an option. We we are physically removed from other believers. But you have to see in the text how these men, when they heard about Jesus' resurrection, when they witnessed him, they were compelled back to community. These men walked seven miles. That is a two-hour walk to be with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Church, we need each other. 
I remember when I first started reading the Bible how I was continually compelled back to church. You know, church was an odd experience for me. I, I didn't really understand the procedures or the things people were doing or why we were singing, but I remember how I was sharpened. How when I came alongside believers, how they were encouraging me and building me up and revealing Christ to me. And in time, I would see how God was using me to reveal Christ to others. We need the church. It is simply impossible to live out the New Testament commandments without living in community. We need each other. We need to be faithful to Scripture. We need community. And these men who would go on to form the early foundation of the church came to that understanding here in Jerusalem. But we also see as we move forward in the text that there's a balance. Not only are we called to gather, we will see in Scripture that we are also called to go. Which brings us to the third way that we can engage with Christ this morning. Number three is to share the gospel. Look with me at verses 36 and 37. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit. Now, apparently Jesus is playing some miraculous version of hide and go seek. And the text says that they were startled. I mean, no kidding. Jesus, however, points out that they should have been ready for his return. They shouldn't have been startled because Jesus had already told them that he was coming back. Look what he says to them in verse 38 and 39. He says, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is, it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Now, Jesus here is making it clear that he's not merely a spirit or some apparition. He is showing them that he is physically alive. In verse 42 and 43, in fact, we see him actually eating with these disciples, once again, proving that Jesus was risen in the flesh. In the ancient world, they understood that spirits couldn't eat food. Food is physical, and therefore you need a physical body to eat food. So therefore, Jesus is giving them proof. And not only did he physically die, but he physically rose from the dead. They were seeing the real Jesus. And as they are seeing the real Jesus, Jesus then goes on to explain that all the scriptures have been pointed to the fact that he would rise from the dead. He goes on probably to give a similar description to the one that he gave to the two men on the road to Emmaus. But then he goes on and takes it a little further. Look what he says in verse 46 to 49. He says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus' message here is a revelation to them. That all scripture has been pointing to the fact that he should rise from the dead. 
Now it has been revealed to these disciples, but now not only to these disciples, because they too have the calling to bring this revelation. They are called to be his witnesses of the fact that this man who walking throughout Jerusalem proclaimed that I would die for you and I would rise from the dead, and he did it. They are called to be his witnesses, to bring that message to all corners of the earth, the message that eventually landed here for you and I, that Jesus died for sinners. And we too are called to be witnesses. This pattern we see in Scripture of sharing the gospel, coming to faith, and then going out and sharing it again is what we as believers are called to do. We have this beautiful responsibility of carrying this great wonder that was hidden for ages, that the Son of Man would come to die for sinners. And we are called to share the message. You know, what I learned years ago when I first started sharing the gospel is that Jesus truly does reveal himself when we share the gospel. And not only does Jesus reveal himself to those we are witnessing to, I believe that Jesus reveals himself to us when we share the gospel. See, what I experienced when I started sharing the gospel with people around me, even though I had very little understanding of what I was talking about, is that as I shared the gospel and people pushed in on me, I was forced to answer tough questions. I was forced to answer questions that I had not considered, and I was driven back to Scripture. I could see how the pressure from the outside world was shaping me and transforming me and turning me into the likeness of Jesus. You see, sharing the gospel is not only for unbelievers, it's for you. It'll transform your life as you share Jesus. We have this gift, this treasure. And I know at times sharing the gospel can be intimidating. Well, what if they have questions that I don't know how to answer? What if they have uh, aggression or anger or mock me for sharing my faith? I want to remind you the life that the apostles lived as they went out in the book of Acts to share the gospel with others. How they were abused and beaten, thrown in prison, and some of them killed for Jesus but how they continued to glorify Christ, and even more as they faced abuse and persecution, how they more fervently preached the good news of Jesus. Church, Jesus will reveal himself in the sharing of the gospel, but we've got to be willing to go. And we don't need to make it overly complex this morning. Even if you don't have all the answers, we just need to make it simple. That's why we here at Mill Creek practice the bless rhythms. It's this really simple acronym that we can remember in how to share our faith. Number one is simply begin with prayer. Start praying for somebody. Start praying for that neighbor or that coworker who doesn't know Jesus. Pray that God would open up their hearts and their minds to be receptive to the gospel. Once you've prayed, well then listen. Listen to their stories and their backgrounds and their hurts and their pains and just hear them out. Hear where they're coming from. Once you've listened, eat. Share a meal together. Grab a, a cup of coffee. Grab some lunch. Invite them into their home. It's amazing how vulnerable people can be when they're eating food. Share a meal. 
And then after you eat, serve them. Serve them the way that Jesus did. Show them the love of Christ that has been poured out to us and now we get to share with others. Serve them. And finally, when you've been faithful to follow these steps and the opportunity has provided it for itself, share the gospel. See, once we've built that trust and that relationship, we can then move to a place where we can tell them, hey, you need Jesus. Even though you think you're a good person, you need Jesus. Because even though Christ transforms us when we share the gospel, our ultimate longing is that others would come to know Jesus. We have this beautiful message, church. And I know there are many of you here who are faithful to preach the gospel to those around you. And I want to urge you to keep going. Keep being faithful to share that message and know that God is working. And for those of you who have let your witness falter, Realize that even now, this morning, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to begin the process of praying for somebody who doesn't know Jesus. These men would go on to give their lives because they believed truly that Jesus had risen from the dead. And we, too, this morning can be confident. We can be confident even though Jesus doesn't physically stand before us. Because Jesus gave this promise that when he ascended to heaven, that he was sending his Holy Spirit. That he would clothe us in power and righteousness. That he would give over to us lowly, broken creatures. The love, the purity, the goodness, and the grace of the Holy Spirit. So we too can see Jesus. It's the Spirit that is working within us that is revealing the Scriptures to us. It is the the Spirit that works within our communities to knit us together and reveal Christ as we gather. It is the Spirit who truly convicts hearts and brings the lost to repentance. Our trust is in Him, not in ourselves. We've been given the Spirit. Now, I'm sure there are some of you here this morning that thinking that these three ways to engage in Christ seem kind of basic, rather simple. But what I want to point out to you this morning is that just because something is simple doesn't mean that it is shallow. This is deep. There will never come a point in the time when you have opened up your Bible too much. There'll never come a point in time when you have been transformed by community too much. There'll never be a point in time when you have shared the gospel too much. Church, this is simple, but it is extravagant. It's so extravagant that for ages, people poured throughout the Old Testament. They stared at this message that Jesus would die for sinners and they missed it. It's so extravagant that men walked with Jesus who performed miracle after miracle and still didn't believe that he was the Son of God. It was so extravagant that Jesus walked with two men on the road to Emmaus and pointed out the scriptures and they still missed it. But it has now been revealed to us today. That mystery that had been hidden for ages. That God would send his son, his only son, to take on flesh and die for sinners. Has been revealed to you and me. 
we have been given that revelation. And we have been called to go deeper. We have been called to lean into Scripture, to let Jesus confront the false images we've created for ourselves, to press against the things that we have believed at Scripture, to change our lives. It's been given that we could have confidence. No matter what happens in this world, no matter how broken or doubtful we feel, if we commit ourselves to Jesus, we can have confidence because our trust is not in ourselves. Our ability to read the Bible clearly, our ability to gather faithfully, our ability to share the gospel, our trust is in Jesus, that he overcame the grave, that he truly is sitting on his throne today, that we have that seal of the Holy Spirit who has guaranteed us to salvation. Our trust is in Jesus Christ. And we have this call to confidence. But you have to be willing to go deeper. You have to be willing to take the faithful steps, the simple steps to learn about this Jesus who loves you so much, who is one day coming back in glory to one day bring you to heaven. You've got to go deeper. And I know if you do, your life will be transformed. Open up your Bibles, gather in community, and share the gospel. Pray with me this morning. Lord Jesus, our hope is in you. Not in the goodness of our works, not in our ability to understand or comprehend the deep truths of the gospel. Our confidence is in you. That you truly did come to this earth to die for sinners. That you truly did conquer the grave and death. That all of Scripture had been pointing to from the very beginning. Lord Jesus, build our confidence. Reveal yourself to us that we may see you clearly. God, give us the faith to follow. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.